Hi, friends. Welcome to Season 5 of The Activity Continues, a paranormal podcast. I'm Amy, the producer and host of this show, along with Megan and the other Amy. We are three soul friends who love to talk about the Dead Files TV show, along with other spooky and spooky-adjacent things. We are just starting our third year, and it's going to be the best one yet. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan, our resident scaredy cat. (laughs) I love this stuff, but it absolutely terrifies me. (laughs) It doesn't terrify me. Me neither. Most of the time. Hey, everyone. I'm the other Amy, sometimes referred to as Amy, Amy P, or AP. And I'm the voice of reason in the chaos, trying to keep these two spooky, goofy, lovely ladies in line. (laughs) We're creating a community of like-minded friends who love to discuss all things paranormal. Along with our thoughts and tangents, you will also hear listener stories and interviews with paranormal professionals, Dead Files clients, and people with personal paranormal experiences. So far, we've spoken to a witch, an intuitive, a shaman, a UFO abductee, and a handful of Dead Files clients. We're always looking for more cool and interesting people to talk to. So if you're interested, please reach out to theactivitycontinues at gmail.com or fill out the guest intake form on our website, theactivitycontinues.com. We'd love to hear from you. Come join us where the The activity activity continues. Land. I'm Amy and this is Heather. Hello everyone. We're so glad you're here. We are back from our holiday vacation. Um, Amy, what have you been up to over the holidays? Oh, you know, I knew you were going to ask and then I, my brain is now blank. We had Thanksgiving and Christmas here and my husband cooked meals for both. Excellent. I didn't have to do much of anything and everything turned out great. So he did a really nice job on both of those meals. So that was fun. We were supposed to do or going to do a um, New Year's Eve dinner. And then our friends who were going to be here New Year's Eve were no longer going to be here New Year's Eve. So we moved it up a few days. But so we had basically two giant meals kind of back to back, which not great for my figure, but <laughs> but they were delicious. And I didn't have to do much work at all. And then also I started a new podcast. And we just recorded episode one last night. I was editing it today. So that'll be out, um, I'm thinking next week. Next week, our time. So maybe by the time this comes out, it will already be out. I'm looking forward to that. Although I 
don't have access to the show it's about, but oh, I'm, okay. I'm still looking forward to hearing it. Okay. So it's a recap show of the TV show, which is on the Travel Channel called The Dead Files. And it's a paranormal show. It's about a medium, psychic medium, a physical medium, I mean, and a homicide detective, retired homicide detective. And they go into haunted locations and she, the medium, talks to the dead people that are there. And then the homicide detective goes and does all this investigation on the land or the people that lived there before or people that died in the house. And then they come together at the end and talk about what they've seen and how they match up. Um, oh, that sounds and great. It's really, really good show. Cool. It's on Discovery Plus, but it's it's a travel channel show. So wherever they have the travel channel, you can get it. Like I get it on Hulu too. Oh, okay. But I don't know if, I mean, it's, I think it's just because we have Hulu Live that we have right. it. It might not be on, you know, basic Hulu, but anyway, it's a really good show and I love it. And my friend Megan loves it. And so we usually end up watching it and then texting each other the whole time. And so I was like, why don't we just talk about it and make it a show? (laughs) Excellent. Fun. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. How about you? What did you do? Well, I went and spent um, Christmas in Reno with my dad and his SO, as he calls her, significant other. And then along with 10 other members of her family, we went to Cabo San Lucas and stayed in a beautiful villa. And half the people contracted COVID and were stuck there. But it was a lovely time anyway. Um, And then I came back and I was sick for a week. so yeah, and here we are. <laughs> I know it, it's it's amazing how many people are getting this new strain. Yeah, it's scary. it's um, it's really scary. We just got yep. new masks today. The 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 good ones, you know, the yep. N95s or whatever. Yep, yep. And for like a week, um, Greg didn't want to go out. Didn't want to do anything. We did go out last night, but we stayed very close to each other and not <laughs> close to anybody else. And wore a mask in and out of the place and the bartenders wore masks and yep we're we're in it yep. it's not going away anytime soon no but on a happier not. note yes we are back to Volstedland. yay and this is our first episode of season two and if you haven't already listened to season one well what are you waiting for <laughs> um but that's fine however um, most of the people we're going to be covering in this um new season are people that were first introduced in season one so Certainly go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Mm -hmm. And this season's going to be a little bit different from the last one. Season one was based mostly on Minneapolis's most notorious gangster, Kid Can, a.k.a. Isadora Blumenfeld, a.k.a. Harry Bloom, and a billion other names. But this season, we're going to be spending each episode on one person or story from that era, mostly ones that we touched on back then. Although there was some stuff that like when I was researching something, I can't remember what now, but then I would, there'd be like an offshoot story that I'm like, Ooh, that's interesting. But I didn't want to get into it. I didn't, because if we did that, the episodes would be like five hours long. Right. So I just sort of set it aside and said, we can handle it later. And so there's some stuff that I never even brought up because it would have just been a rabbit hole. So those are some of the things that we're going to be covering there's some really great stories that don't have anything to do with Kid Can, uh, but they have to do with people that he was associated with or 
that he knew or that were, you know, tooling around at the same time he was. So that's what we're going to be doing for this season. And we're calling the season single barrel edition. And that can mean a single barrel shotgun or a single barrel of booze, which are both appropriate for the time era um, that we're exploring. Mm -hmm. And that was Heather's idea. So yay. I like that title. (laughs) Uh, Kudos to you. Just a little light housekeeping. I just want to make sure everybody knows about our Facebook group. We have almost 100 people in there now, and it's a private group, so you can only see the posts if you're a member. It's really easy to be a member. <laughs> you just have to click a button and answer a couple questions. Um, and basically, the questions are like, you promise not to be a dick. Really, it's pretty much all it is. Um, so come on over and discuss old time to crime, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota history, and all things related. I'll put a link in the show notes, um, or just log into Facebook and go into groups and search Volsteadland. And it's called Volsteadland Discussion Group. It's a fun group with some people who are really experts in Minnesota history. There's a, one of our newest members, Kent, I think his name is. He posts a lot of stories and pictures and stuff. So that's really fun. Come share your knowledge. <laughs> so we're, we don't have an official drink tonight. Um, I'm drinking whiskey and ginger and Amy is drinking something I hadn't heard of before, but is quite delicious. It is Bailey's with club soda yeah. and yum, yum. It's kind of like a Colorado bulldog in that it's adding fizzy to a milk thing. Mm-hmm. So awesome. I, think everyone should try it. Yeah. And I also wanted to comment that today we're recording this. It's Sunday, January 16th. And tomorrow is January 17th, which is the anniversary of the Volstead Act. Yeah. And that's what started this all. And that's, that's where we got our name. So cheers to January 17th, the Volstead Act, which I don't really want to be cheersing to prohibition, but while we're drinking, you know, (laughs) you know, So uh, sit back, grab a drink of choice, and join us as we talk about the life of Machine Gun Kelly, not the one engaged to Megan Fox, but the original Machine Gun Kelly. (laughs) So as you may recall, in episode five, titled The Muckrakers, we talked about the Charles Urschel kidnapping. Um, We discussed it because it involved Kid Can on a pretty minimal level. He was involved. He was involved in um, laundering the ransom money. Um, His participation was kind of minimal, but the mastermind behind that kidnapping um, was George Machine Gun Kelly and his wife, um, Catherine. And I had heard prior to this, I had heard the name Machine Gun Kelly, but I didn't really know much about him. And I certainly didn't know anything about his wife, but some Google searchers had me intrigued and Um, So here we are um, with our second season doing a deep dive into George and Catherine Kelly. So George Kelly Barnes was born on July 18th in 1895 in Memphis, Tennessee. He was born into a wealthier family and had just kind of a traditional upper middle class uneventful upbringing. He enrolled in the University of Mississippi in 1917 to study agriculture, but he wasn't a very good student. The highest grade he ever got while he was at the university was a C, and that was for having good physical hygiene. (laughs) I think that says something about him. I I wish they had given grades like that. (laughs) I might have done better. (laughs) 
So it was during this time when he was in college that he met Geneva Ramsey, who he quickly fell in love with, and she became his first wife. He quit school and they had two children. He was working a lot, but never really found a good paying job. He was a taxi driver. They weren't really able to make ends meet. And that put a lot of stress on their marriage. And eventually Geneva left him. Now, my research tells me that they divorced when he was 19, which to go to college at 17, wow. get married and have two kids and still be 19. I'm not really sure how that works. <laughs> But I, I suspect he was only in college for about a semester and then quickly quit to get married. So once he got divorced, he met and hooked up with a small-time gangster who got him into the bootlegging business, um, as you did. And Everybody was a bootlegger 19, back then. <laughs> 1919. Um, he, he had some growing financial success and notoriety, and he liked that. And at a certain point, he changed his name to George R. Kelly. And this was an attempt to maintain his family's good name. Because um, like I said, they were an upstanding family. And he changed his name because he was starting to get into some underground illegal stuff and wanted to, you know. That was nice of him to think about yeah. his family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he did have a couple arrests. And the first of them was in 1928. He was charged with smuggling alcohol onto an Indian reservation, and he was sentenced to three years in the Levensworth Penitentiary. And then not long after he got out, he was arrested again for something very similar. And then he did another stint at a penitentiary in New Mexico okay. for something, probably another bootlegging type mm -hmm. offense. Then he ended up in Oklahoma City where he joined forces with a small-time bootlegger named Steve Anderson. It's such a, like, blah name. <laughs> that big old gangster, you know, Steve, Steve Anderson. Anderson. He probably had a gangster nickname. He probably did. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. Steve-O or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is when, through Steve Anderson, George Machine Gun Kelly fell for Anderson's mistress. Oh. And her name was Catherine Thorne. Catherine Thorne was born Cleo Lara May Brooks. And she was born in March of 1904 in Staltillo, Saltillo, <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> uh, when she was nine years old, she moved with her family to Texas. And it was around this time um, she was in eighth grade. And she decided to change her name from Cleo to Catherine. Because she wanted to be more glamorous at age nine. She <laughs> As you do. Catherine was a more glamorous name. <laughs> so uh, soon after, her parents divorced and her mother, Aura, started working as a hotel manager. And so there's a movie about Machine Gun Kelly. Mm -hmm. And I watched it last night. And Is this the George Romero one? It's... um. Charles Bronson's yes, first I started film. watching that yep. this morning. I didn't get terribly yeah. far, but I started watching it. Was, it. it was interesting, and it was loosely based on yeah. all of this. Um, but I had also heard that Catherine had worked in a brothel, and that was definitely portrayed in the movie, oh, okay. that her mother ran a brothel that Catherine worked okay. in. And so my research said that her mother worked at a hotel, 
And I'm thinking the hotel is actually a brothel. Um, So, yeah. So, or she, she ran a hotel brothel and she married a local political figure named Robert G. Boss Shannon. (laughs) They just called him Boss. And that was, he was from Paradise, Texas. So at the age of 14, Catherine married her first husband, Lonnie Clyde Fry. And she gave birth to her only child, Pauline, in 1919. And after two years, she and her husband separated. And she ended up living and working at the hotel her mother managed. Which, so she would be... She would be 16 working in the hotel business. I didn't even put that together. She'd be that young. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. So um, that happened. And then later she moved to to Oklahoma and then back to Texas, where she married L.G. Brewer. That was a short one. Uh, Quick marriage, in and out. They separated soon after marriage and moved to Texas, uh, where she lived with her mother and stepfather. Unleash the power of stories anywhere, anytime with Audible. Immerse yourself in gripping stories, insightful knowledge, and captivating characters anytime, anywhere. Audible is your library on the go. With hundreds of thousands of titles across every genre, there's a world of reading waiting for your ears. Listen while you cook, clean, or commute. Free your eyes to conquer your day, all while feeding your mind. Start your 30-day free trial today and discover the joy of listening. Go to audibletrial.com slash TAC. That stands for The Activity Continues. With your free 30-day trial, you get one credit, two credits if you're a Prime member, good for any premium selection titles you like, yours to keep. You get the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible originals. Listen all you want. No credits needed. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash TAC. If you're a regular listener, you know we love our three spirit drinks. They are the non-alcoholic spirit drinks that are taking the world by storm. Three Spirit is a range of three distinct drinks, each with its own unique flavor and effect. The Livener is a refreshing and invigorating drink that is perfect for starting your day or night. The Social Elixir is a smooth and sophisticated drink that's perfect for sharing with friends. And the Nightcap is a calming and relaxing drink that's perfect for winding down before bed. All three drinks are made with plant-based ingredients and are free from alcohol, gluten, and sugar. They're also vegan and ethically sourced. So whether you're looking for a delicious and refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or a sophisticated non-alcoholic alternative to cocktails, Three Spirit is the perfect choice for you. Try Three Spirit today and discover the difference. Visit us.3spiritdrinks.com and use the promo code THEACTIVITYCONTINUES for 15% off your entire order. Cheers! That one was the best one yet. Her third husband (laughs) was a bootlegger and a widowed rancher named Charlie Thorne. Charlie was very wealthy, and this is when Catherine started to get a real hankering for the good life. 
he allowed her to explore luxuries she had never known before. Fancy cars, a nice place to live, a beautiful wardrobe. Um, they went to parties and had an active social life. Um, it is, from my understanding, um, that is how she first got a life of crime with him. She started becoming more and more involved in crime because she wanted to help get the money to maintain the lifestyle mm -hmm. she grew to love. It is said that he had an affair and that affair, he was cheating on her. And when she found out they had an argument and the next day he was found dead with a uh, pistol next to him Jeez. and a typed suicide note <laughs> that said, I love my wife. I can't live without her. So I am departing this life. <laughs> now, okay. what makes this interesting is that he was known to be illiterate. Mm. He could not read or write. And he had typed the suicide note. Mm -hmm. And there's also a gas station attendant who the day before the argument and his subsequent death heard Catherine say, I'm going to kill that goddamned Charlie Thorne. <laughs> And announce that you're going to murder somebody <laughs> and then go ahead and do and it. And then do it, right? Yeah. But she staged it as a suicide. Mm -hmm. The lead police investigator definitely was suspicious and pursued this angle that she set it up as a suicide, mm -hmm. but a judge didn't believe it and threw, out, threw it out and she was never oh, charged geez. or convicted. So she was convicted of a robbery shortly after Charlie's death. And she was going at that time by the name Dolores Whitney. But she was released on a technicality and didn't even give back the stolen cash. And that cash, along with dead Charlie's money, because he had a lot of money, allowed her to improve her wardrobe and continue her quest for the good life. Good for her. She, <laughs> right? <laughs> she was really suited to be a gangster's girlfriend. Like I said, she just, she just fell right into the role and hit the ground running with it mm -hmm. um she was attractive and glamorous and she loved the spotlight and like i said um the, how she met george kelly was she was dating um another gangster steve-o we'll call him <laughs> uh one time when steve was out of town on business presumably pulling a job which i think is uh you know what they say in the gangster biz mm -hmm. um she and george met and fell in love and ran off together and then eventually married in Minneapolis, Minnesota, hey. September 30th, 1930. And they were a great match. They both liked to drink and they both enjoyed guns, which is, you know, a crazy combination, yep. but I'm not here to judge. Yep. Catherine was known to be an excellent shot herself. Um, she had handguns, rifles. And so in February of 1933, so a couple years into their marriage, she purchased a Thompson submachine gun from Jay Carr, a pawnbroker in Fort Worth. <laughs> and she presented it to George as a gift. Isn't that romantic? Mm, that's so sweet. <laughs> and the story goes that they headed to Catherine's stepfather's farm in Paradise, Texas, where they practiced the machine gun until George could write his name in bullets on the side of the bar. Oh my God. And later she would brag that she would set up walnuts on a fence and he would just boop, 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 and shoot all the walnuts. Wow. Down. And so not surprisingly, it was Catherine who bestowed the name Machine Gun Kelly onto George. And so it just like that, 
Catherine's groom went from small town bootlegger to big time machine gun toting bank robber. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were moving up in the world, robbing banks. It was at this point that George had been holding up banks throughout the South and Midwest with a fellow gangster named Harvey Bailey. And these holdups would sometimes yield like $20,000, which was a hefty sum of money back then. Sure. It's a lot now. <laughs> right. <laughs> to me. They would hold up a bank, split up for a few weeks, and head to Mexico or another exotic locale, and then meet up again and rob another bank. And they were just on the run, living a glamorous lifestyle, shooting up banks and robbing money. And then, so Catherine became more and more involved. She was the queen of disguises. She was in charge of, you know, getting wigs and glasses and different disguises that would help, you know, throw them off of um, the police. Um, She'd also arranged to switch out automobiles. So, you know, people wouldn't know what they were driving off in. And she just really had a thirst for danger and excitement. She wanted to be married to a notorious gangster and she made sure that George became that. She would hang out at speakeasies and other places and brag about him and tell everyone what he was up to and actually hand out shell casings from the guns that he had used in these bank robberies and just brag about. So like little souvenirs Um, that he would get to people? Yep, just little souvenirs. And this is my husband. And he's he's that guy you've heard about in the the news, which is really strange. Yeah. But she she definitely was marketing him as the notorious gangster of the time. Right. And even according to one of his fellow inmates, when he was later in prison, they said that she was definitely the creator of the image of Machine Gun Kelly Mm. and was known as the mastermind behind all the big heists. Wow. Around 1932, George was starting to get a little bored with bank robbing. And it would seem that Catherine, being Catherine, wanted more money and more adventure. And this is when they got an associate named Albert Bates, and they decided to turn to kidnapping. And their approach was that Catherine would study the society pages in the newspapers to figure out who had money and where they lived and what their habits were. And that's when they read about Charles Urschel, an oil baron in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And they thought he sounded like an ideal target. I'm not going to go into a ton of details about the Urschel kidnapping because there's so many avenues Mm -hmm. and people that were involved and how the money was dispersed. And it just, it's, it's a lot. But I will say this. It was in 1933 when George Kelly... Um, carrying his trademark Tommy gun and two other men carrying pistols entered the Urschel's mansion in Oklahoma city. The Urschel's were entertaining another couple and they were all sitting around a table playing a game of bridge and Kelly stormed in to blow everyone's head off, presumably and um, take, take Urschel hostage. There was a little hiccup with taking Urschel hostage because there was, they, they wouldn't say which one was Urschel. There were two men there. So they put a bag over their head, blindfolded them, took them away in a car and demanded to see their IDs. And they finally figured out which one was Charles Urschel. And the other guy, they just took the $51 that was in his wallet and left him on the side of the oh, road. Geez. And they took Urschel to the farm in Paradise, Texas, that is where 
Aura, Catherine's mother, and Voss, her stepfather, lived. And Urshel was kept captive there by Catherine's mom and stepdad. Also involved was Voss's son, Armon, whose nickname is Potato. And I wish I knew why, because that's just really crazy. <laughs> um, they demanded $200,000 in ransom. And like I said, there was a lot of detail about how the ransom was um, obtained. So once the money was split up among all those involved, Catherine and George went on the run, um, going from state to state, trying to stay a step ahead of the police. Um, they both dyed their hair to conceal their identities and continued to enjoy lavish lifestyles with partying, um, stopping into different people's houses that they knew along the way in various states. Um, after several weeks of hiding, they finally made their way to Memphis, where they stayed with a longtime friend, John Tichenor. And it was on the morning of September 26th, 1933, the Memphis police, along with FBI agents, surrounded the Tichenor house and made a forced entry. And it was at that moment that Kelly presumably, arguably, maybe coined the phrase, G-men, please don't shoot. <sighs> And that's maybe where the phrase G-men came from. Yeah. He was badly hungover um, <laughs> that day from his prior night of a drinking binge. Um, he was still in his pajamas and Catherine was still in bed asleep. They were quickly flown to Oklahoma where they stood trial. And Catherine claimed in a newspaper article when she was interviewed that she was only involved because George had threatened to kill her. Oh, jeez. Which was absurd right. because we've already said she's the mastermind behind this whole gangster image that she wanted for her husband. Yeah. So it was 13 days after her first, um, after their first appearance in court before a judge, um, that they received life sentences. Hmm. They never saw each other again. Four other people, including Catherine's mother, were also given life sentences. Oh, jeez. And a total of 21 people were convicted for their involvement in the kidnapping. Wow. George was transferred to Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. And Catherine, along with her mother, um, were transferred to a federal prison in Cincinnati. George was quite arrogant with the prison wardens and was bragging to the press that he would escape and that he would break out his wife out of prison and that they would be spending Christmas together that year. Huh. The prison officials decided to take this seriously. And then the way to do that, they thought best was to transfer him to Alcatraz. Ah. And he arrived at Alcatraz on September 4th, 1934. And he was actually among Alcatraz's first group of prisoners. Oh. And he was, um, AZ number 117 was his prison number. Oh. Um, have you ever been to Alcatraz? I have not been to it. I've been there, you know, looked across the water at it, but no, I've never right. actually been to it. It is the coolest museum experience. I recommend I would everyone love to. go. It is just so cool. You know, you it's it's a typical museum tour where you wear a headset, yeah. but you can hear like the clanging of dishes mm -hmm. in the mess hall and you get to see where the men got their hair cut. And I had a great time at Alcatraz and I recommend I would love to go. There. 
while he was serving his time there, he was considered to be um, by the warden a model citizen. He wrote many letters to his kidnapped victim, um, Charles Urschel, while in prison, showing remorse and begging for forgiveness, oh. as well as asking him for help on the outside to get him out, sure. which didn't happen. And it's actually rumored that Urschel paid the tuition for Catherine's daughter, her only daughter, Pauline, to attend college, oh. which is kind of interesting. That's very big um, of him. <laughs> <laughs> while George was in uh, Alcatraz, he worked as an altar boy in the prison chapel. Oh. And he also worked in the laundry, as well as doing some administrative work in the offices. I'm not sure why, but he was eventually transferred back to Leavenworth, where he died on his 59th birthday in 1954. Hmm. Catherine and her mother were released early um, in mid-June of 1958. And upon release from prison, Catherine and her mother chose not to return to a life of crime, thank goodness, but to, um, they both got jobs working in the same nursing home. Mm -hmm. Um, Catherine as a bookkeeper and Aura as a um, nursing assistant. (laughs) And then um, in 1962, when Catherine was contacted, she said of the press, Why can't they just leave us alone? I'm afraid I'll lose my job if this constant barrage of publicity keeps up. I was just a young farm girl when I met Kelly back in 1930. I wasn't used to all the money, cars, and jewelry George offered me. Any farm girl would have been swept off her feet, same as I was. Aura died five years before Catherine at a suburban Oklahoma City home that they shared. And then Catherine passed away in Tulsa uh, using the name Lyra Cleo Kelly, a supposed Wisconsin native. So she must have been um, just deciding to reinvent herself again. And take her old name back. She was from Wisconsin um, and she died in a nursing home there. Huh. And that's the story of Machine Gun Kelly and his wife, Catherine. Wow. That's cool. Thank you. Good job. (laughs) That was fun. Thank you. Yeah, I I knew nothing. I mean, I'd heard the name Machine Gun Kelly. I did not know anything about him, except that he was a gangster and not the one dating Megan Fox. But <laughs> but um, I didn't know anything about his wife. And um, when you mentioned when we were doing the original Urshel kidnapping story and you mentioned that there was so much more about these two, I was like, yeah, let's do that. Do a deep dive. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you did. That was fun. All right. Cool, cool. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Volsteadland Single Barrel Edition. Tune in next time when we cover the life of Marilyn Tollefson, the woman who eventually brought down Kid Can. Sort of. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and visit us on all our social media platforms for more content. Fullstead Land is produced by me, Amy, at Collected Sounds Media and is part of the Collected Sounds Indie Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Okie doke.